John, you and I are old enough to remember covering Dwight Gooden uh, when he was both a phenom and then with the Yankees, and he's joining us uh, this week on the show. Absolutely. Uh, should be a great guest. Terrific guy. And uh, certainly had a very interesting career. Looked like he was on his way to the Hall of Fame. So we'll have a chance to ask him all about that. And I give the Mets credit because they're doing the right thing, retiring his number. They retired Keith's number. They retired retiring straws number and they're having a good year off the field on the field not so much but not off so the field much. they're doing all right yeah <laughs> yeah you know straw and gooden looked like they were on the hall of fame uh track when uh in the mid 80s late 80s didn't go that way obviously because of uh off the field problems in particular a player who does look like he is on a hall of fame track shohei otani got bad news this week john and i will talk about that we'll play hit and error at the end if you stick with us on the show with joel sherman and john Heyman. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. John, you and I both spent a lot of time at City Field this week, and I think you were there for at least parts of all three games, all three pre-games. I was there for two, so we were around the Angels, uh, and it's obviously not a great time for the Angels. They went all in at the uh, deadline, decided not to trade Shohei Itani. They used some prospect collateral to try to get better, and uh, like the Yankees, they fell completely out of it as soon as uh, the deadline was over. They're in a helpless situation. And then to make matters worse, they found out. And Shohei Otani found out he has a uh, tear in his UCL. Uh, is he facing Tommy John surgery for the second time? What does that mean for a whole bunch of things? Notably, what we anticipated as the most anticipated free agency in the history of free agency. So, John, just ballpark, uh, you know, you were there a lot. What what comes to mind first about Shohei Otani and what we've been counting down to, to this gigantic free agency. Yeah. First of all, I still think it's the most anticipated free agent in history. He's still Shohei Otani. He's still, at least this year, the best offensive player in baseball. And, you know, he's still Shohei Otani, uh, a guy who can do both pitching and hitting spectacularly well he won't be pitching for a while, we presume. Might be until 2025, might be later than that. We shall see. But he's still going to do extremely well based on how Aaron Judge could have done, not just the $360 million he got with the Yankees, the fact that he probably could have gotten over $400 million with the Padres and the Giants. I, I think Otani, uh, being, a, being a guy who will be a pitcher again at some point, we presume, 
should be able to get around $500 million or thereabouts. Obviously, it's going to cost him some money. There's going to be some teams that were interested in uh, pitcher two right away uh, who might not be as enthused, may even pull out and not go for him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which ones, but I still think he's going to break the record and buy quite a bit. Yeah, the record's what, about 423.5, is it? Uh, Trout Four, for total. 426.5, if you count the uh, previous years that Trout had, yes. So that's, I, I think you're right. I think he beats that, even if some team just saw him as an offensive player uh, and, and with all he brings uh, potentially financially off the field. Uh, I think he'll probably break Scherzer and Verlander's 43.6 uh, annual. So, you know, you start playing it even if you want to play the 45 at 10, like that feels like the lowest number possible, right? Is 10 years at 450. If you're going to get there, I think he's going to break the 500 million. John, you wrote a couple of columns this weekend. One of them was to still give, you're really good at this. You used to help me over the years understand odds real well. You gave the odds of uh, where, where, where you think it was. And of course, a lot of this is just as we know, because we were there a lot this weekend, it isn't like Otani talks and you get a lot of information from him. But just for the fans quickly, because you wrote it and it was really, everyone should go to mypost.com, read John's work all the time. And this in particular, this was well done where you kind of set up the field and you had it in order. Dodgers, Padres, Angels, Red Sox, Rangers, Mets, Cubs, Mariners, Giants, Yankees field. Do you still believe that it's the, the the Dodgers have lost so much pitching. You know, we found out Tony Gonzalez needs Tommy John. Dustin May won't be back for half a season. Kershaw and Urias are free agency. I wonder, can they spend the big money this offseason on a guy they're not positive can help them in that area next season when they already know, well, we at least start with Betts and Freeman as we try to build a positional group. Yeah, now those were last week's odds that I gave. <laughs> the Dodgers were the favorite last week. You know, we were there this week. You hear all sorts of different things. One thing I heard is maybe he doesn't love hitting at Dodger Stadium. I have to check out his stats there. But, I mean, the guy can hit anywhere, obviously. I, I would think the Giants would be at a handicap with their ballpark. Very tough for a left-hander who's not on the juice or anything like that to hit home runs there at in at the Giants ballpark at Dodgers Stadium. I, I think they can overcome that ballpark, which I think plays fairly. And obviously, you know, it's all conjecture because he's not confiding in me or anybody else at this point. Maybe his agents, that's about it. Um you know, we're, we're reading tea leaves. He did have a lot of West Coast teams on the finalist last time, although who knows what the finalist list meant because, you know, there were three National League teams on the finalist list. And really looking back on it, there's no way he was going to go to a National League team, right? He had to go to an American League team so he could DH now. Certainly the National League is out there. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities. You hear he doesn't love pitching in Yankee Stadium. Maybe that doesn't affect it right now as he's not going to pitch right away, but he is going to pitch at some point. So, uh, you know, you hear Texas, but then Texas is probably going to look more toward pitching than hitting as well as the Dodgers. You, you make a good point with the Dodgers, the loss of Gonsolin. Maybe that does change the equation. We'll see how they do with Urias. I think they'd like to bring him back. I presume that he would like to stay Again, with Otani, we really don't know. It's good that I'm good with numbers, but, you know, as as for the who's the actual favorite, you know, I think almost anybody could guess who it is, and who knows who's going to be right here. You know, John, after being around it for the weekend at City Field, 
I more and more thought, I actually think the Angels have a shot to keep them. Uh, I do too. For a variety of reasons, including being around them, you realize that an organization has to A, cater to him, and B, cocoon him. This is what he wants. The fact that he has not talked about this injury, look, every time you do this, people are like, screw you. I mean, ultimately, we're the conduit to the fans. I'm assuming the fans would like to know, for example, why, why not find out exactly what you have if you need surgery? I had... The excellent, you know, the two of the guys I know you like at the, the network, also the research, Nate Nate and uh, Eric helped me uh, look something up. Bryce Harper came back to hit in 160 days. Uh, you know, it's 212 days to next opening day right now. Like if he needs to have Tommy John surgery and I'm a team about to spend 500 million, look, it's a 10, 12 year contract, a month, whatever. But I'd still like to have him since I don't have him to pitch next year. If he needs the Tommy John surgery, then go get it. If not, can you talk and explain why not? The Angels have learned to do this. And I, I wrote a column about this, John. There is complications to signing the guy. He is a great player. And I want to make clear, I wrote in the column, I hope he signs with one of the New York teams. I'd like to watch it every day. It's such a spectacle. But even at full health, which means pitching and hitting, you do have to have five other starting pitchers. Even at full health, he's going to be a DH, which means you have to have eight position players and none of them could kind of be the older guy who you want. You know, you mentioned the Yankees, like unless they're going to waive Stanton, it's a hard guy to bring in to be just a DH. If he is in your rotation, it means you're going to play. You have six starters. You're going to play a reliever short at all times. Uh, You know, I'm not sure it took him two years to get pretty much get back from his last Tommy John surgery as a pitcher. It isn't like he's rehabbing next year. Normally, he's going to hit all season. So this guy might not pitch to 26. If he has a second Tommy John surgery, are we so sure where people say, well, if he can't pitch anymore, he'll just go to the outfield. Outfielders have to throw the ball also. Can he just do that? I hope he comes and plays in New York, John. He is a great player. But this is a player who comes with a lot of complications and being around it all weekend. I wonder, does the team that know him best have some advantages because there are complications? Well, I'll say this. The Angels were my third choice. I think they were still 12 to one uh, because I had many teams on the list and we really don't know uh, where he's going. I do think that he probably appreciates the fact that he's let him do what he's wanted to do. I think that was probably the right decision. They're continuing to let him do what he wants to do. And I look at it a little more positively maybe than you, the fact that he is playing now rather than worrying about his free agency. Yeah, I mean, certainly if if he was worried about the dollars, he get off the field right now, tend to his elbow, get, get it straightened out, figure out exactly how long it's going to take. And uh, obviously, he's already had a great year. People know what he's going to do. He's not really helping his free agency cause by continuing to play. But he is an employee of the Angels. And he is playing uh, still. And he's playing extremely well. Uh, He's hitting better than anybody, as we saw at City Field this weekend. And uh, so, I mean, I look at it more positively. Like, you know, certainly it's up to him. They're leaving it up to him, which they need to do because – you know, that's part of their selling point is that they've let him do what he wants to do. And I, I can't blame them for that. Uh, but I look at it positively from his standpoint. He's an employee. He's helping the Angels. It uh, doesn't mean he's going back to the Angels, but he is helping his current employee more than himself and his free agency. If he was about money, he would have waited a year or two, come over as a free agent and made at least close to his value. 
he made a fraction of his value. I mean, remember the first couple of years where he's making less than a million dollars and he's probably worth, you know, 40, 50, 60 million dollars and up. And he's certainly going to break the Scherzer Verlander record of 43.33 million. I don't think there's any question about that, but he's not about money. He's still playing. Yes, I agree with you. He's probably hurting his free agency. You can say he's hurting his next. I don't think team. that's hurting his free agency, John. I I mean, sure whoever's going to pay him, he's, yeah, he's ever going to pay him is going to pay him. He's hurting the team that signs him potentially at the beginning of next year by not being available from the beginning of the season. Right. And that would hurt his value. So that potentially would hurt the dollars that he gets. Um, you know, he if he if he goes and gets the operation now, presuming that he needs an operation, he'll be available a little bit sooner and certainly can make a case. I'll be a pitcher and I'm anxious to help out my next team. Right now he's helping out his team that he's already getting the 30 million and that that dollar amount is set. So um I I, I do think he is hurting it potentially to some degree, but I don't, I, he's not about money. Uh, you know, you could say he's about putting up numbers, whatever. He's about playing, performing, uh, doing his best. And I look at that positively. Yeah. I think he wants to be the greatest. Uh, I wonder as time goes by, cause I agree with you. I think he's going to continue to try to do both things. It's what his mindset is. And I've always been a champion of him doing both things. Uh, seeing it in practice now, I think I'm not sure if that's best for, for whoever buys him moving forward, you know, whoever gives him the contract. John, one of the other columns you wrote over the weekend about him was kind of a letter from uh, John uh, saying, you know, hey, consider the New York teams. And you mentioned the seven teams uh, that he uh, was open to uh, on the front end. And the one commonality about all seven of those teams is they trained in Arizona. Uh, most of them were West Coast, all seven teams training in Arizona, even like the Cubs, the Rangers who weren't West Coast, team, et cetera. I just wonder because it's a not that there's an easy flight from Japan, but it's an easier flight from Japan to get to the West Coast. If that is still going to be a factor here, uh, I'm going to dismiss the Yankees uh, because look, maybe because it's Otani, you say, well, we'll just figure out Stanton gets hurt every year anyway. But it's hard to make him the full-time DH when you're still paying 25-ish a year to uh, Stanton. The Mets are the wild card to me because of the Steve Cohn bankroll possibility. Do you do you see this as anything more than a Hail Mary? Or do you believe that he'll end up on the West Coast or training in Arizona, Cubs, Rangers, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't put too much stock into that. I list the seven finalists just because we don't have much information. I don't put too much stock into it because, like I said, he had three NL teams on there. He wasn't going to the NL at the time, which had no DH. So, you know, obviously we know that he picked the Angels. That's one piece of information that we do have. You know, it's kind of interesting you mentioned Stanton. I think he was kind of like the consolation prize that they signed, right? When that consolation realized, prize, by the when way. They weren't going to get Otani. They put in a full effort to get Otani. He told them basically, I love your organization. I've heard a lot of great things about it, but I, I don't see myself in a big city. And, you know, then they moved on and they ended up signing Stanton. So, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think the Yankees were near the bottom of my list just because they can't afford him. And, uh, you know, I think they'll give it a shot. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, I don't see the Yankees as a likelihood. I, obviously, Steve Cohn is more than a wild card. He certainly can afford it. He's certainly intrigued. He's certainly been around him, went to Japan, 
and uh, you know there are tea leaves there. They're look. They're also have Senga and are pr- pursuing Yamamoto. I mean, there were ten. 10 scouts, at least, that I know of, looking at Yamamoto's last start, which was seven scoreless innings, and they were among them. There were nine others, so no guarantee there. But, uh, you know, I, I would say Yamamoto might be more likely uh, yeah. for the Mets. Uh, yeah, Billy Epler Mets. flew flew to see uh, this summer, uh, went to Japan and uh, did it. I think others, I think maybe Andrew Friedman from the Dodgers, who we had as a guest last week, uh, and some others. Look, I, I, I'm going to re- see if you test your memory it was a Bobby Va- Valentinism that I really, really love. So, you know, Cone uh, is on the field at the WBC in in Tokyo uh, for, and, and Otani is there. And he told us he had promised his daughter, he, on the show, he promised his daughters a trip there. And uh, he, it was kind of uh, offsite for his business. And Bobby Valentine, when there were two things that, that kind of were connected and you wonder how they came together, he go, oh, that was quite a coincidence. Now, only if I believed in coincidences, that would be good. <laughs> I remember him saying. And like, I, I always remember that. And I kind of like, I don't believe that was a coincidence. I think Cohn was there for a specific reason. I wonder if it means so much to his day business. This is not a guy who separates ownership money, you know, baseball money from his other money. He just he uses his money to get what he wants. And if he can make a lot more money with his hedge fund because he's associated in some way with Otani, it opens up all kinds of possibilities and viabilities in Japan. I mean, to him, and you point this out all the time, remember the tax goes to 110% for him next year. So Otani is double plus if you were to sign him, pretty much sign anybody this offseason. But he is the wildest of wild cards on all issues now moving forward, especially since I don't believe in coincidences with Otani. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt that he's intrigued. I, I don't believe in this coincidence either. I, I do think he's very interested in Otani. Uh, is this is the timing perfect? I mean, Otani's visit here to City Field did that make a difference? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Max Scherzer decided ultimately he's going to accept the trade to Texas because he was convinced that they're not going to be a, a World Series contender next year, and put it that way. But that's basically it. Um, you know, I do think Otani not only wants to put up numbers, I think he does want to win. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's about the money, though. So I, 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 you know, like I said, he came over and he made over the last six years, he made a total of less than $60 million. He's worth $60 million per year. So, you know, he's not a guy, he doesn't seem to be a big spender. The people now around him say that he basically just, plays baseball, maybe play some video games. I don't know. He's at home. He gets uh, driven to the park by Ipe, uh, works works hard at the game, and does his best at baseball, which, you know, that's great for whoever signs him. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure that the money is going to be the overriding factor here, which is why the Mets didn't make my top five probably. Yeah. Uh, I do think from everything you hear about the player, the player eats, sleeps, uh, dreams about, baseball and being as great as he could and that's made him the great phenom in the game if you stick with us on the show with joel sherman and john Heyman, we have a guy who was a phenom in his day dwight gooden stick with us we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and uh, we're very happy to be joined by Dwight Gooden, a player John and I covered uh, in New York, uh, and we're going to cover again next season. Uh, has a great honor bestowed upon him. He is a legend of the sport in New York, and Steve Cohen and the Mets announced in the last week that number 18 for Daryl Strawberry and number 16 for Doc Gooden are going to be retired. So, Doc, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on the honor. And just as a starting point, what does it mean to you that you will be now kind of a forever Met? Oh, man, it's a great deal for myself. Um, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys for having me on your show. Um, Yosef, when Steve called me a couple of weeks ago, it was the first time that I was actually lost of words when he told me that the honor just going to bestow me for next year, that they're going to retire the number. And um, for the first probably five seconds, I just broke down. I couldn't believe it because, you know, you hear that it might happen, but then you just don't know. And then when it's thrown upon you, it's just a dream come true. It's kind of, you know, surreal. And I remember in 95 when the Mets wanted to cut ties with me because of suspension. And I was hurt because I wanted to make it right with the fans. I didn't want to go out my Met career the way it ended. And um, I remember I signed with the Yankees, which is great because I wanted to stay in New York. So Mr. Steinbrenner gave me an opportunity to do that. And after the 97 season, I called the Mets and Steve Phillips was the general manager at the time. And not to throw stones at anybody, but um, I asked him, was there any chance of me coming back with any interest? He said, unfortunately, the roster is full. Wish you all the best. I signed with Cleveland for 98, 99. After the 99 season, I called the Mets again, said, hey, look, I'd like to come back. Any openings or anything there? Once again, I was told, you know, we don't have anything. Nothing's there. I signed with Houston um, in the spring training, a non-roster player. I pitched one game. Got traded to Tampa, pitched eight games, got released. Called the Mets again. <laughs> I like. To, I love to come back. I'll go to AAA. I'll do whatever you guys want. I just want to finish my career as a Met. I was told no again. I signed back with the Yankees. Um, we beat the Mets in the World Series. After the season over, I was in spring training with the Yankees. I hurt my knee. I tore my MCL actually, and I probably wasn't gonna make the Yankees anyway. I called the Mets again. I'm not gonna say any names who I talked to, but I said, "Look, can I sign a one day contract to retire as a Met?" I was actually turned down again so for this to all come full circle you know everything is timing and mr coin and his wife alice to give me an opportunity now to be forever a met and have my number on the roster is just a tremendous honor and i'm just i can't believe it and um when i got the message you know obviously the first call i wanted to make was to my father who's no longer here so i was able to call my kids and share a moment with my kids so um, i'm just delighted and happy for daryl too to have his number retired the same year well that's terrific uh uh, hats off to Steve and Alex Cohn for doing the right thing and retiring your number. Uh, certainly well, well-deserved. Uh, obviously, you've been through a lot during your career, after your career. Tell us, how, first of all, you look great. Uh, tell us how you're doing, where you're living. I, I know we talked a little beforehand that you're, you're in New York. You're a real New Yorker. But uh, tell us how you're doing and where you're living and what you're up to. Uh, things are great. You know, I always tell people I was born in Florida, but I was, I was raised in New York. You know, I came here as a 19-year-old. <laughs> I'm in Long Island. Uh, this is where I live. This is home. Uh, some great people here. I'm doing wonderful. Um, I had a little scare a week ago. I was in the hospital for four days. Um, I wasn't taking my blood pressure medicine, which is a no-no. That's something I have to do. And so it raised my pressure pretty good and um, had an irregular heartbeat. So I was at St. Francis Hospital for a couple of days. Thank God they have that under control now. And I have to continue to take my medicine because I lost both parents to heart disease. So I can't go that route, obviously. And 
Things are great now uh, with my sobriety. I have four years by the grace of God. So it's just one day at a time. Things are going great. Um, this weekend, I'm going to Maryland to see my son's first college football game. He plays for the University of Maryland. They're playing Townsend. So um, I'm a little excited about that and just following my grandkids around. And, you know, life's great. Kids are great. Our relationship's great. It's good to see you guys. Good to be on the show. Oh, well, Doc, if the uh, day job doesn't work out, you could be our producer. I was going to get to <laughs> Dylan at some point. Uh, since you jumped it, that you mentioned that Maryland opens against Towson. Your son was, I believe, one of the top recruited edge rushers in all the high school. Uh, is it, Tell us a little about him. Is he going to start and or play Saturday? Uh, and what kind of player is he? And, you know, you, you know what professional athletes look like. Is he a professional athlete? I think he has a shot. You know, it's 1% that makes it. So I told him, you have a chance. I say the worst thing can happen is you get a free education. But you're so close. He's playing hard. He's like what they call like a freak athlete you know, that comes along once in a while. You know, he's 6'5", 230. So they're trying to put some more weight on him. Um, outside linebacker and the edge rusher. He's going to be in different packages. I don't think he's actually going to start. But he's going to be in different packages, which is great. He's just an opportunity. And um, I'm very happy for him. Very excited. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. You know, it's funny that you said, because now that he has an apartment and he gets a check every month from the school, I very hear from him, you know, each return. <laughs> I'll, I'll hear from him soon because his car insurance is due. So I'm sure he'll return next now. But other than that, you know, I wish him well. And um, he's doing great. So I'm looking forward to going down there with my other kids and, and watching him play. Speaking of freak athletes, I mean, talk about 1% making, you were in the 0.1% of the 0.1%. Uh, that first year, I was like a meteor. The first couple of years, incredible. Uh, I mean, were you expecting to do that, uh, what you did as a teenager, to come in there and be the best pitcher in the major leagues? And how'd you do it? I mean, was it all natural, or were you just the hardest working guy uh, in show business? A little bit of both. You know, I never expected that. Um, my whole dream was to play major league baseball, obviously. Me and Gary, my nephew, Sheffield, um, we grew up in the same house. He's my sister's son. Um, and my nephew, I'm, I'm four years older, but my dad taught both of us the game at a very young age. And my whole dream was to play major league baseball, but I never thought about, you know, winning so young, never thought about all these escalates that's come along with that. Um, it's happened. And my when I was 12 years old, I totally dominated. But the next year at 13, when I got to the bigger field, everything kind of equaled out. And then once I got to high school, I only played two years. Um, my sophomore, well, we, we didn't have freshmen. My sophomore year, I made the team but I wasn't going to start. So I decided I wouldn't play. I quit the team. It was something that my dad was very upset with me. I uh, went back my junior year. I was an outfielder and a relief pitcher. We had uh, Floyd Yeomans. We had this guy, Vance Lovelace, who's a big scout for the Dodgers now. And this guy, Albert Everett, who's Carl Everett's older brother. And we only played Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So those are started out as a relief pitcher. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for Yeomans, but great for me, Yeomans was missing practice a lot. He got kicked off the team our junior year. That opened a spot for me to get into the rotation. And I ended up going 7-0 and with like a 0-point-something ERA. And that's when I knew I had a shot at making it. But I never thought I'd get drafted that high. My senior year, my high school coach told me I'd probably go between the 10th and the 20th round. I signed a letter of intent to go to the University of Miami. But I was drafted by the Mets in the first round. And um, I don't know if you guys remember Tom McCruin with the Tampa Tribune. Yeah, uh, Tampa. yeah, yeah. He invited me, um, Richard Montioli, and Lance McCullough Sr. to come down and watch the draft. And... The Mets drafted me. Back then, it wasn't, you know, we didn't have the MLB works and all this. So, go across this stream. You see New York. Well, it took Sean Dustin. Cubs took Sean Dustin. I forgot who went two, three, four. And number five, it said New York Mets selects Tampa's Dwight Gooden. I actually had Tom call New York 
to make sure that was correct because, <laughs> what school, <laughs> because of what my high school coach told me and um it was for, it was for real and um just went from there and, and my Miley career started off okay you know in Kingsport and then Lynchburg and then went to AAA with David Johnson the end of 83 and David told me wherever he managed the, the following year I would be on the team so big big props to David for you know helping me make the team my first year you know, Doc, I was thinking today when I knew we were going to interview you, can you imagine if there was an internet for the 1980s Mets and especially like not just the off the field, which would have been crazy, but your 85 season, because as in, I, I was at UPI, I was 21, I was UPI. It was an event every five days when you started just for our fans who might not know 24 and 4, 153 RA, 268 strikeouts. By the way, 16 complete games uh that that season. I wonder if you and 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 I mean you had to no, no VCRs, etc., <laughs> no DVD, no DVR. Like you m- made sure you were in front of a television to watch Doc Gooden starts. Can you in some way encapsulate that season for us? You end up, of course, being the Cy Young. And if it was a different day, the Mets would have been at least the wild card. You don't make it to the playoffs that year. Oh, man, that year was incredible because I think having the experience I had after 84, um, I would say probably at about my fifth or sixth start in 85, I knew it was bigger than just a start with the media attention, the sellout crowds, and all the interview demands after the game with Jay Horace, who did a great job. Um, I accepted the challenge um i knew it bigger and i wanted to go to the mound and i had to give a lot of credit to gary carter who played a big part of my success that year because gary demanded nothing but the best out of me every start he communicated between starts if he wasn't batting or i wasn't batting we sit and talk how we're going to approach the next hitters and he wanted the best he wanted the complete game he wanted to shut out he wanted the 10 plus strikeouts and um a big part of him but every start was bigger and i accepted the challenge and when i took the mound I wanted that because I knew the fans wanted that. And it was a situation where I didn't put any added pressure on myself, but I accepted not that I I um disrespected the opposing teams, but if we scored a couple of runs early, I I just want to be out on the mound every chance I get because the fans brought so much energy and excitement out of me at Shea Stadium. It was just that's the best way I can um explain it. It was just like Ben can totally command every start and having Gary Carter as my catcher, demanding the best out of me and and Wanting that and catching me in between starts, which I've never had a catcher do that, played a huge, huge part of that for me. You're, you're reminding me what a great guy you are and uh, always giving credit to everybody. You've given credit to Jay Horowitz, to Davey Johnson, to Gary Carter. Who gets the credit for your curveball? Because that's really, I mean, you threw hard. And now there are a lot of people who throw upper 90s, but you threw harder than than almost everybody. But that curveball incredible. W- where did that come from? Was Was that your dad? Was that Gary? Where was it? Uh, 100% was my dad. My dad always felt like it was how you throw opposed to what you throw. What, what he meant was if your mechanics is sound, your mechanics is on time, it doesn't matter what pitch you throw at what age. Um, he taught me to curveball at a very young age, probably 10 years old. We used to do a lot, a lot of drills at the ballpark without a glove, without a ball, and Gary would have no bat, and we'd just do these drills, which it wasn't fun. I remember coming home sometime telling my mom, Dad is taking me to the park. He's making me do all this crazy stuff. You don't know what he's doing. But he's teaching me about <laughs> mechanics. So as I got older, as I got older and he put the ball in my hand, I knew like if my leg wasn't landing in the right spot and my arm wasn't in the right spot, that I was off. And I knew how to correct that at a very young age. And it all makes sense. But my dad deserved the credit for that, for teaching me the curveball at um at 10 years old. Because I only had two pitches, fastball and curveball. But I turned the curveball into two pitches while we changed speeds with it. And I can locate it as well. 
You know, Doc, again, I was looking at the numbers this morning and something hit me hard. By the age of, through your age 21 season, you had 745 innings. Just just to give an idea, that's 50 more than Max Fried has in his whole career at this point. And he's 29, right? By 28, you have had 2,129 innings. Uh, that's more than everyone but seven guys who are playing right now. And that includes guys like Madison Bumgarner, who was released, not playing anymore. Johnny Cueto, who's hardly played. So I wonder, you obviously peaked very young, you know, like your best season's 85, probably by the late 80s, you're not the same pitcher anymore. Have you ever come to peace with, was it, I was used too much too soon and I should have been protected better? Or was this about off the field issues that sap something from your career? That's a great, great question because I beat my, myself up so much about the off the field problems that I had and addiction that I had that caused my career to turn out the way it did um, at the end. And the more I look at it, the more I hear the numbers that you bring up, I'd have to say it was probably a mixture of both. Um, if I had to do it over, I wanted to do it the way I did it for the innings because that was just a different time in, in the game. Um, and I wanted to be out there and complete the games. Like, out of all my stats in 85, I'm more happy and satisfied with the 16 complete games than actually the wins. But looking at it now, probably a lot of wear and tear because even in high school, we played Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. In my senior year, I would start Tuesday. I might relieve Friday, depending on the score, and then start Saturday. Um, and then the same thing through the minor leagues, I pitched a lot. But um, looking back at it now, I'll probably say it was a mixture of both because the addiction does wear on you as well because the work ethic changed a little bit during the offseason. But the minor innings and the build-up at a young age, it was definitely a lot of work and a lot of overwork as well. You know, what Joe's talk, talked about 1984, 1985. Let's talk about 1986. I think that's the year that Mets fans want to hear about. Now, you, you obviously had some downs in 86 as well. But what do you recall about that year? I mean, you, you were obviously a great pitcher. You didn't, didn't have quite the year you had in 85. But obviously, there were some missteps as well. What are your greatest recollections, good and bad, about that 86 season? I think the good thing about 86, I thought I, I was doing well. I still had to complete games, and I kept the team in in the um, in, in the every game I pitched pretty much for the most part. The numbers went there. Um, so I was happy looking back at it now, the 86 that I had. But overall, I think that's when I lost a little bit of the fun during the season because everything was compared to the 85 because of the standards. And I set the bar so high in 85, everything was going to be compared to that. And I remember, I forget what game it was, but I think it was against Fernando early in the season. I got the win, complete game but only had like five strikeouts. And the first question was, what happened? You only have five strikeouts. And politically, I said the right question. I said, well, I'm not worried about the strikeout. I don't want to win the game. But I went home and I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about the next start. I got to get 10 strikeouts. I got to get the 11 strikeouts. I got to see the Ks. And so I'll allow myself to not enjoy it as much for probably the, um, probably half of that 86 season because I wasn't able to match the numbers that I had in 85, especially for the strikeouts. And Looking back at it now, even that I've been retired for 20-some years and even toward the end of my career, I don't know how that happened, but it's just that the expectation I actually had on myself was so high because of the 80-45 season that I wasn't able to match those numbers. So I wasn't allowed to have as much – I didn't allow myself to have as much fun in 86. But even when we won the World Series, I didn't pitch well in the World Series. And believe it or not, I've never said this before publicly, but when Roscoe struck out Barrett, I was actually kind of hoping he would walk them so – I was actually warming up in the bullpen, and Davey, I don't know if he's going to bring me in the face, Rice, or whatever, but I was kind of hoping Barrett would have got on because I wanted to redeem myself, which is very selfish, to come in and at least face Rice and 
end on a good note. I mean, it's very selfish to think that way, but that's just where my mind set was at that time. But so the 86 was like up and down, even though we won the World Series. I was very happy that to get my first ring with the guys who drafted me and a lot of the guys I played in the minors with. But honestly, it wasn't the most fun I had, you know, for as a complete season throughout my career. Still helping the writers by giving us exclusive stories. We appreciate it, Doc. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, Doc, I, I think one of the things we think about with that era of Mets is did they leave championships on the table? Uh, you know, the team was so talented and so close. And it does feel, I know our colleague Mike Bacara wrote a story, a long story recently about the pivot. Uh, you giving up the home run to Sosha, the two-run homer in game four It's uh, of the 88 NLCS. It's four to two. You're a couple of outs away from going up three games to one. I think we believe if you do that, you go on and you, uh, you know, you win the pennant that year. You play in the World Series again. I wonder your recollections of that. Does that you mentioned you had a sleepless night because you didn't strike out more than five guys? How many sleepless nights have there been since Mike Sosha? Oh man, it was sleepless nights up until probably about I'm gonna say about eight or nine years ago. I talked to Mike Smith. I mean, I'm sorry, Mike Sosha in um, Yankee Stadium. I was doing a clinic. The Angels getting ready to play, and he came out early, and we had the conversation about what happened in 88. And I just wanted to know from him, because I'm thinking, I walked um, Shelby on four pitches in the ninth inning. Sosha's up. He's not a home run hitter. My mindset is, let me get ahead with strike one. I'm not thinking he's going to swing. And he's probably thinking, Doc's a fastball pitcher. He only got two pitches. He just walked Shelby. Scores 4-2. I'm going to crowd the dish. I'm going to look in. First pitch, I'm going to cheat him. If it's there, I'm going to jump him. And that's what he did. And we talked about it. And that's exactly what he did. So after he told me that, I was able to kind of let it go a little bit. But you're 100% right. That changed the whole series. And it, it was a lot of sleepless nights about it. And now that you brought it up, I probably won't sleep tonight either. <laughs> I'm <No>. sorry. <laughs> no, it's all, no, it's all good. It's all good. But uh, you're right. That changed everything. And I always think about, you know, when people talk about, did we leave anything on the table after the 86 season? It's kind of, it's a tough question because a lot of times, as you, as you guys know, it's not always the best team that wins. It's the hottest team in the postseason that wins. But to justify all that and make me feel better about myself, I look at the run that the Braves had in the 90s, and I say, man, they left a lot on the table. But I do think we left a couple on the table. And a lot of guys that I play with say, no, you know, you never know what could have happened. Got to be happy of the one, which I'm very happy of the one. But I still feel that we did leave a couple on the table, especially in 88. I mean, you obviously had some amazing years that you're in 85, memorable to all of us, the 153 RA. A great career. That's why being retired, you should be commended. You're being, you're several years. Did you say four years sober? That's terrific. Um, looking back on it, it seemed like you know the issues or problems off the field started in that '86 uh, year. I know I read books uh, by you on you. Uh, you know, you had suggested Tampa was an issue for you. Obviously, the '80s were different than they are now. Well, looking back on it, what, what do you think happened? And Because obviously people can see what a great guy you are. This happens to good people, bad people, all the same. But we know what a good fellow you are. And that, that's not it. It's just a mistake that happened. But is it the era, the the geography? What do you think happened there in 80s? I think it started in 86, right? Well, well, thank you for the kind words. And you're 100% right. Um with addiction, it doesn't discriminate. It don't matter if you're a good person, you're a bad person, white, black, it doesn't matter. And I think with me, and not to justify anything, I take full responsibility of my downfalls and troubles. But in the family, it was addiction there with alcoholism and that you know we didn't know about it at the time. And then with my problem, like you're right, it started in 86, a lot of pressure. And if I had to do it over, I wish I could have talked to somebody and been honest with myself 
whether it's my parents or Dr. Lance who was around as well, and tell him what was really going on. It started with my drinking started increasing more because I wasn't happy. Even though if I got a win, the bar was set so high. If I got the win, if I won five, four, I had three strikeouts and I pitched six innings. To me, I was upset with that. I mean, to you guys, I'll say, yeah, I'm happy with that. We got the win. I'll celebrate things. But then I'll go back to my hotel room and drink myself so I can fall asleep because I was so upset with my outing. Um, that's where it started. It became a problem very quickly without me knowing it. And once I got home during the offseason, after the World Series, after missing a parade, was a very tough thing to swallow because you can't redo that. Um, and it was a lot of self-pity. And so I would go home and drink more. Uh, and it started with the marijuana. The next thing you know, I was introduced to the cocaine. And unfortunately, the first time I tried cocaine, I was addicted right away. And it became a big problem. I was in denial for a long time with that. And the problem just got worse and worse as, as you know, as I started doing more as well. So that's some things that happened that I can't redo, really unfortunately. So today I just try to turn that mess that I made into messages for the youth and to help others. And by me talking about it, it helps me as well. So I don't get too comfortable with the situation I'm in now. Doc, after that fall, uh, you did have a rise again. Uh, with the Yankees. Uh, you were a very important player on the 96 team. I think people don't remember the 96 team isn't like later Yankee teams that had the giant payroll. It was way ahead of everyone. Uh, Baltimore was favored to win. And your no hitter that year is, I think, the touch point when folks finally figured out it was a special team. You almost got released after a couple of starts that year. You only end up back in the rotation because your best friend on the team, David Cohn, has an aneurysm. He's in one hospital. You mentioned your father, how important he is. Your father, I believe, is getting open heart surgery in Tampa the morning after you're going to pitch that game against Seattle, the team that knocked the Yankees out because their offense was so great the year before, and you're on the mound in mid-May against them. I wonder if you could transport back to that night it is a great story and what it means to you looking back that you were able to do that for the Yankees. Yes. Oh, man, you almost got me choked up just thinking about that, um, the way things happened, because you're right. The first three starts um, wasn't that good, and I was actually benched. And when a pitcher gets benched, I mean, you're not getting the up 10 or down 10. And my good friend and pitching coach, Mel Stoudemire, he didn't give up on me. He's, he would help me come to the park early. We'll work on mechanics. We'll work on different things. And he believed in me. Um, and you're right. When David Cohn, unfortunately, got the aneurysm, well, before he got the aneurysm, it was talk about me to get him released or possibly getting sent down to AAA to work on some things. David got the aneurysm. And even when he got the aneurysm, I remember Joe Torre, he wanted Ramiro Mendoza into the rotation. And George Steinbrenner was the only guy said, and Stoudemire said, no, let's give Gooden another shot. Let's put Gooden back into the rotation. And luckily, I had been working on things with Mel I hadn't lost confidence in myself. I was just waiting for opportunity to do it. And coming back into the rotation, I think it might have been my fourth or fifth start into the rotation was the no-hitter. And the day of the no-hitter, wow, that's tough. The day of the no-hitter, um, I suppose I had flew home to build my dad, who was getting ready to have open-heart surgery the next day. Um, I had my plane ticket to go home. Um, that morning I woke up, all I could think about was the days my dad spent with me at the Little League Park with me and Gary working on different things and talking to me about Work comes first. Take care of your job responsibilities first. Take care of your family. Everything else, take care of yourself. For some reason, that kept ringing in my ear. So I called Joe Torre, told him I'm not flying home, coming in to pitch. He said, no, go home. Take as much time you need. We'll see you when you get back. I said, no, I'll be in tonight. I'm pitching tonight. The next call was a little tougher. I had to call my mom and tell my mom I wasn't coming home. And she said, no, you have to come home. Your dad's expecting you. You need your support. All your family's going to be here. There's no question about it. I'm going to pick you up from the airport. I actually ended up hanging the phone up on my mom because I was just feeling that bad. 
Um, that whole day, I'm deciding, did I make the right decision? Should I go home? Should I pitch? Am I going to see my dad again? I'm not going to see my dad again. I get to the ballpark. I talk to Mel Sotomayor. He want to make sure I was okay mentally. I said, Mel, I'm okay. I'm good to go. The first minute of that game, I was standing in a walkway between the uh, clubhouse and the um, in the dugout. Sometimes tearing up, thinking about my dad, sometimes not. In the first innings, I would whatever Joe Girardi signed, he put down, I would just go with the pitch. I was totally out of the game. Not till like the sixth inning, I looked up at the scoreboard while I was batting to see who Seattle had coming up. You see no runs, no hits, no errors, and the anxiety kicks in, the heart starts beating a little faster. I was able to put my dad's situation aside and pitch the rest of that game. And I remember the ninth inning, but the score is 2 nothing. I walked two guys in the ninth. Mel Sarmar came out to the mound. And he goes, Doc, how you doing? I said, it doesn't matter, Mel. I'm not coming out. He says, it's your game to have. Go get him. The last out was Paul Sorrento. And you talk about a game of inches. The pitch to Mike Socia that he hit out at 88 was a better pitch than the one I threw Mike Socia. I mean, um, Paul Sorrento that he popped up to put a no-hitter. But it just everything is timing in the game of inches. So when I threw it, it was a hanging curveball sitting on the tee. He popped it up, sent the balls in the air forever. When Gita made the catch, everything you can imagine is going through my mind. The year before, been suspended. Early in the year, about to be released or sunk down. My dad's in the hospital. Is he going to make it? I'm back at Yankee Stadium where all the great players has played. And my teammates are carrying off the field. I'm pumping my fist. And all these things are going through my mind. Obviously, I didn't sleep that night. Um, I took the ball, a ball home from the game to get to my father. I saw him at the time. He was on life support. He never made it home from the hospital, but turned out the last game he saw me pitch was that no hitter, and that would made it that much special that year. Now you wow. gave me goosebumps. That's oh, something. That's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, it's yeah. a hell of a yeah. story. This will be the last one for me. You've really been a treat, Doc. Really fantastic job. Um, Mel Stottlemyre, obviously the Mets connection there. That was big for you to get that start. I want to ask you about the guy you're going to forever be linked with in Mets history, and that's Daryl Strawberry. The announcement came together. They put you two together in the announcement anyway. How was your relationship uh, with Daryl and other members of that 86? Because, I mean, that team's going to be remembered for, forever, mostly for winning the championship, but also for being, uh, you know, a very interesting and fun team to follow. Oh, yes. Um, my relationship with Daryl is great. Um, it's, it's been hot and cold the last couple of years, but – I would say we're great now. Uh, we're probably closer than we ever been, even as players. Um, we talked like two days ago. When he's in town, we get together, we have lunch, uh, dinner. We might meet today. He's in town now doing some work. But um, I think um, a lot of times when we had our our faults was because we allowed outside people who we thought was friends to interact, and it was like a lot of hearsay where we get to the point where I'm firing words at him, he stands up to me instead of us calling each other, sitting down like men and working it out. Uh, we learned a lot from that, and um. He's my brother. You know, today I love him. Tomorrow, I don't know what might happen tomorrow. But, <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm just kidding. I love Daryl. I remember my mom was sick before she passed. He actually went to Tampa to see her, spent the whole day with her and prayed over her. Those are things that stick mostly to my heart that I remember. And um, I'm very, very excited for him, too, because we've had a lot of the same issues. He's doing great now with his ministry. I'm very proud of him. And then my rest of my teammates from 86, I see a lot of them at the Mets fantasy camp. I see Mookie a lot um, with the stuff he's doing. We do a lot of stuff together. And when I'm at the park, I try to make sure I stop by and see uh, Ronnie and Keith. So uh, very close-knit team still today. And um, I'm very happy for those guys and the ones that are doing well. You know, Doc, as a way to wrap this up, I, I, I think you and Straw will hear ovations next year. That will remind you both how beloved you are in the city and what you mean to uh, a group of fans and their memories of what's still the, la the last championship. And just, again, how special your starts were. And I think that's a reminder that people care about you. You've mentioned 
sobriety for four years now. You mentioned you're doing well. I wonder as a way to wrap up, how, how you mentioned you'd like to help people. What what has been the key to you kind of being able to get through four years now and be in a better place? I think for me, and that's a great question, it's being honest with myself, not worrying about what people are going to say, not worrying about how I'm going to be judged or how I'm going to be looked at, but just speaking the truth, my true feelings, surrounding myself with good people. Unfortunately, I had to let some family people go because of what their situation was. I just put myself in a better situation and forgive myself. That was the hardest thing for me to do, forgive myself on a daily basis, which sometimes I still struggle with that. And understanding that that person, that animal who's in addiction, that's not me today. But at the same time, I know as soon as I, if I let my guard down, I can go right back to that same guy within a heartbeat. I'm aware of that today. And I understand that. And I just want to be around. I want to live for myself today. Um, I used to try to say, I want to do it for my kids. I want to do it for my mother, my grandkids. But today I want to do it for myself. And I think if I do it for myself, that would take care of others and just helping others, just being there to help others and not afraid and feel bad or embarrassed about sharing my stories of what I've been through. And um, all the support that I get from the fans and everyone else really helps a lot too as well. And it means a lot. So when I see people now, it's about maybe hugs, handshakes. I have to learn to, it's okay to cry. It's okay to show your emotions. A lot of things that I grew up just the opposite. Men don't cry. Men don't hug. Men don't share your real feelings. I have to learn all that the opposite. And again, I don't blame anybody for my my mistakes that I made. I just live day to day now, moment to moment at times. And just happy with my life now today. Doc, uh, I've learned over the years not to talk for John and not to talk for a fan base, but I'm going to do it here. I think we're all very happy to see, hear those words, see how uh, good you look right now. And we're all hoping that one day at a time, one step at a time, it continues uh, because it was really great to cover you. And it's great to see you now. And John and I appreciate you joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And I appreciate you guys. And thank you guys for not only being you know, great guys in the covering me in the media, but good friends that I consider as well. So thank you guys so much. And uh, I can't wait to next year. It's going to be a big celebration for everybody who's always supported me from day one. Thanks to Dwight Gooden, of course. Uh, we appreciate Doc joining us. John, uh, hit or error this week. What do you got? Well, I guess it's an error on me, but it's a hit for the Mariners. Uh, I'm doing mea culpas all, all over the place uh, these days. I did one over the Mets sale, which I said they should keep going. And they did a, not only a sale, they did an enormous sale, and they were correct. Uh, and I was wrong about the Mariners. Uh, they've turned out to be a pretty darn good team right now, 20-5, and five, as we do this this month. And uh, in right now in position to win a very difficult Division. I know we always talk about the AL East being the most difficult, but right now we're going to have three teams from the West uh, in the playoffs, uh, along with Houston and Texas. And great job by the Mariners uh, to get into this position. Uh, not many teams that are sellers move into a playoff position uh, basically a, a week after after they did their sale. And I don't blame them for their sale. They they traded a closer and they had a closer in tow, so they were okay there. So good job by the Mariners, bad job by me. Well, I, I John, you know I'm a hate prediction guy, but I think, and I'm not even positive, this is how much I hate predictions. I think in our preview, I picked the Mariners and Braves to play in the World Series. So I think I'm still open for that possibility. And I did think the Mariners were, like, saw some value in Canzone and Rojas as lefty bats that they needed to kind of, like, deepen their, their depth. 
their positional depth. So it wasn't a, a, a complete uh, giveaway. And for those who are interested, uh, you know, on our uh, the post pay sub, uh, the subscription and post plus, I ranked this week one through 30, the team set up rotation wise the best for 2024. And I have Seattle number one. It's all prime age guys who they control for years, led by Luis Castillo. And don't forget, they get Robbie Ray, who had Tommy John surgery back for next season as well. John, for my, I'm going to go with a hit also, and I'm going to stay in the AL West. Jose Altuve had a cycle uh, yesterday. Uh, and look, he's going to be clouded historically by trash cans and buzzers. But the best thing you could do to run away from trash cans and buzzers is just keep being the same hitter you've always been. And at this point, I assume there are no buzzers. There are no trash cans. This was a season of some significant injury for him, right? He fractured the thumb in the WBC. He had an oblique injury. I think he's only played 62 games this year. But Jose Altuve is hitting 322 with a 944 OPS. He's one of the great hitters of our generation. He's literally a hit. And so I'm going to give him my hit for the week. Yeah, I'm with you on Altuve. I think he was unnecessarily, unfairly castigated over the trash can. I know he was in the clubhouse, so you can blame everybody. I mean, was one of the players going to be a whistleblower? I, I didn't. I don't see that. He didn't take the signal, so it, he didn't. He didn't want it. He didn't take it. He wasn't part of it. Yet he's the one who's the face of it, at least for the fans at Yankee Stadium. I don't think that's right. I think he is a Hall of Famer. On your predictions, good job with the uh, Braves Mariners. I think I had the Angels Padres. So uh, you, <laughs> you you either are better at this or put a little more thought into it. I will say predicting uh, uh, rotations going forward is a dicey proposition. Yes, if you recall, yes. MLB.com, not to pick on them because I admitted my own terrible prediction, said the Mets had the best rotation this year. Didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, predictions are tough. That's why I generally ignore them because no, nobody ever does, except for you, John, which I give you credit. Nobody ever does the mea culpa. I always just have to hear, oh, you, I predicted this thing. I said, you were 0 for 9 before this one. This is the one you're bragging about. Anyway, I, yeah. I hate predictions. But it's not good when you have as many mea culpas as predictions. So yes. that's been that kind of year for my predictions. I, I have faith in you, John. You're going to, the mea culpa. Come back. I'm a, I could be the comeback predictor of the year next year. <laughs> you're going to be our hit next week, you know, John's predictions. I hope everyone sticks with us next week the the show a podcast from the new york post as always andrew hartz and uh, jake brown our producers help us get through the show each week hey, uh, our show drops on the yes app usually about noon on wednesday each week don't forget uh subscribe rate review apple spotify wherever you listen to uh your podcast it does help uh help the show if you give us a review especially a positive review five stars out there we're like uber drivers and stick with us on the show with joel sherman and john Haney.